Hey there, folks. Welcome to this Ocean Life podcast. We're on episode number 67 today. I'm your host, Josh Peterson. Our episode is sponsored by Coletka Undersea, an ocean lifestyle company born from thousands of hours spent roaming in and under the sea. Family-owned business. Check them out at coletka.com. Get 15% off your order with the code of this ocean 15 Now, today we speak with Dan Semrad, founder of Oregon Freediving Company and lifelong man of the water. Now, today, Dan takes us through his evolution from scuba diving into freediving, sharing stories and the people and places along the way, such as in Honduras and Grand Cayman, Hawaii, and more. Dan shares his perspective on training others through his work with PFI and NAWI while pushing his own breath hold limits. We hear of underwater blackouts and rescues while diving and hunting fish in the dark waters of the Oregon coast and adventures in Alaska with Dan's thoughts on learning techniques to pursue new types of fish and enjoying the overall pursuit. If you're thinking about getting trained or want to learn how to dive safer, Oregon Freediving Company and Dan is a great option. So check them out. Got some links in the show notes and everything. So remember, let's mellow out on the plastic usage. Let's do something good for the ocean. And now let's get into the ocean life of Dan Semrad. Hey, Dan, welcome to this Ocean Life podcast. Hey, Josh, thanks for having me. Yeah, man. Super stoked. You know, it was, it was cool to have a chance to, to meet you in person a few weeks back, even if it was only for a few minutes. And uh, after looking at you, you know, doing my normal social media stalking and you got a great website and you sent me a bunch of information. Uh, yeah, man, I'm really excited to hear what you've been up to in the water. Oh, thanks, man. It's funny. Uh, I, I Before we met, you know, Instagram is so cool because it connects you with people and I was seeing these cool pictures and, you know, you, you have a company called Oregon Freediving Company and those two, the first two words there, <laughs> when I first saw that, they kind of clash. They don't really go together. When you think of Oregon, you think of freediving, you know, it's like, what, how does that even go together? But man, you're doing some rad stuff up there. So, so start off by telling what is Oregon Freediving Company? What do you do in their day to day? And, uh, start there, man. Yeah. Um, and it's funny, actually, as I was getting set up and, you know, bringing in different lines to the shop and whatnot, I kind of got that response a lot that people would be like, <laughs> you have a freediving shop in Oregon? Like, how does that, how does that even happen? But yeah. Um, so I was a high school science teacher, I suppose I still am. Um, and I had started my diving, my formal diving in uh, the scuba world and um, at some point got really focused on spearfishing and freediving, um, decided I wanted to split off and have a shop that was was just freediving and spearfishing. And so with my background in education, even in the, the scuba time, the focus was always on the courses. Um, and yeah. so I built this around courses and then offered more and more gear as that became accessible solid so where are you based up there in oregon uh, i'm in oregon city uh about 20 minutes south of portland got it got it so, so two hours from the coast <laughs> yeah 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 so then what do you provide like talk about like what you what you provide I mean, you have a shop so you sell gear and equipment but you also do you you instruct you do a bunch more stuff as well yeah so i um instruct through Naui and PFI um, and they they started a collaboration a while ago and so offer the freediver level course offer that every month minimum once a month um, and then do intermediate and instructor courses and on up 
Um, and I'm also the Naui free dive training coordinator. Um, so I get to run kind of agency level courses and work on standards and work on alignment between the two agencies and whatnot there. Um, some of the, the more fun shop level stuff, we do a lot of spearfishing. Um, I run a spearfishing course. I've actually got a local pool that lets me every month we set up, uh, targets in the pool and have a late night at the pool where we take all the, the spear guns and pole spears and everything else. And we set up a shooting range in the pool and call it statics and spear guns. And so kind of split it if people want to work on getting their gear dialed or if they want to work on getting their technique dialed, we, we can do either one of those. Um, and then at the shop, I full service carry a bunch of different lines, have rental of free dive specific stuff and kind of try to have everything you would need for free diving and spearfishing. Yeah, that's cool, man. You kind of got, got it covered. I mean, the one thing that lacks in a lot of places, and I can speak that here in Santa Cruz, is is the ability to go target practice. You know, like if you're not in a spot where the water's clear, you can go out all the time and set some targets up. And even that's ocean dependent, right? On the currents, and you know, might not have targets, might get blown away or something. It's hard to find time to like sight your gun in. And you know, Dave Binet, who 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 introduced us, you and I, him and I have been like trying to figure out, you know, find a time when the conditions are right to take an hour drive to monitor array to find some water where we can actually put some targets in and sight some guns but so it's rad that you offer that from your shop because everybody like we all spend time dreaming about fish when we go out and, and get after some fish and you're like ah oh, is that too close am i too far how should i aim this shot if you haven't practiced yeah. a bunch <laughs> that one opportunity might completely might totally blow it you know <laughs> yeah yeah and i do love it for i mean i get a lot of people that go to those where you know it's their first time handling and using a, a spear gun in the water so it's a great safety aspect but then also get you know the experienced guys that are going on a warm water trip and they just haven't had yeah. a chance to shoot their big gun in a while and mm -hmm. so you know get familiar get reacquainted with with the big blue water gun or whatever and um yeah it's a good time yeah that's cool and that's a biggie too especially like where you are and where i am you know where the water you know if you get 15 feet of visibility you're like high-fiving right uh yeah, and then exactly. those days when it's 20 or 25 you're just like blown away but then you go like you said blue water and it's you know 50 60 or more and blue water you know there's no frame of reference when we're like you hunting reefs you can use stuff around you there's kelp or there's reef you can kind of distinguish how far things are much easier and then yeah. blue water, you're like, God, am I 10 feet away? Am I 15 feet away? So, so then do you help guys in these pool sessions? Do you help like folks who are used to the grayish water like we are, who are going on a blue water trip? Do you kind of help give them some tips on, you know, how to sight in those big guns? Yeah, I mean, I offer what I can and answer questions. So I'm happy to be, I, everybody has the the safety protocol they have to follow and then, you know, as hands-on or hands-off as they want me or my other guys to be, um, where if they just want to play with their, you know, play with their gear and set the target at different range and, and figure it out, that's fine. If they want my input or whoever's input, then happy to give it. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. And then day to day, you're spearfishing where, I mean, are you, you're running out to the coast and, and, Give us an idea what that's like. You know, do you have some spots? Talk about the conditions out there where you go. 
Um, the conditions, especially this time of year, um, are pretty unpredictable, pretty rough. So it does, does limit you quite a bit. Like yesterday we were, I just hadn't been out in Oregon in long enough that we saw it was diveable. So we went out, um, did limit us to one of our jetty spots. Um, and we had like three to yeah, probably closer to three foot of visibility than five foot, but <laughs> so, uh, uh, crawling around in the muck and, but it was one of those that we just, I needed to get out with, it was actually my other instructors here at the shop. So, you know, fun day in the water with a good group of, good group of Spiros. So, yeah, that's cool. It's funny. Like everybody's depending where you're at, and plus your own tolerance <laughs> is like your threshold for diveability, as you mentioned, you know, and, and as you said, it, it was diveable. What popped into my mind is, oh, that's like, you know, eight to 10 foot of viz ish, you know, uh, and you're like, oh, three and three is diveable for you guys. And so, I mean, that's and that's tough stuff. I mean, and the people listening who could be from, you know. Bahamas or somewhere where they're like, dude, are you right. kidding me? I wouldn't even put a foot in the water if it was three <laughs> foot of visibility. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We got we got enough for our fish tacos and we had a good time in the water. So it's yeah. all good. Yeah, right on. And the water's cold right now. You mentioned it's like forty eight to fifty degrees Fahrenheit. Yeah, we had a class uh last weekend. So we were diving up in Hood Canal in Washington. Um and so on Sunday, water was in the 40s. Um, and then yesterday, I was hoping that it was going to be warmer. Um, but yeah, it was still, it was 50 even. So both of those were pretty chilly days. Yeah, yeah indeed, man. Indeed. So now part of what you're also doing with, you know, Oregon Fruit Diving Company is you're not just always in Oregon. You're, you're also diving a lot of other nice warm places. As you mentioned, you hadn't been out on the coast there for some time. I mean, this, this year alone, you've been the, what the Caymans a couple of times, you've been in Florida, you've been here in Santa Cruz. So talk about that aspect of what you're doing, you know, traveling and I think you're instructing and doing other things. Yeah. So a lot of that, that travel is through both the shop and then the agencies. So with, um, like, PFI last year, I got to go down and I was one of the safety free divers for Deja Blue at Grand Cayman, a big training oh. camp and competition. Cool. Um, which, yeah, was was incredible. Got a safety, a bunch of people doing doing records. The deepest diver last year was uh, Carol from Brazil, and she set a continental record at 114 meters. Um, right. So. And that was just just one of many um, very impressive performances. Yeah. But the and then so I get to travel and help instruct um, and organize courses. Like when I was in Santa Cruz and and met you, um, I was doing a instructor course for Naui. And so that's when I was working with uh, Dave and those guys at UCSC. Um, and then same sort of thing here in a couple of weeks, I head out to blue wild to do some work for Naui there. And so, yeah, I get to travel around and run, run different level courses, uh, just building the stoke. Yeah. That must be nice, man. Especially in the winter time, like you mentioned, hoping the water gets warm and you go somewhere, you know, your, your local spots, 48 degrees, 50 degrees, three foot biz, five foot. You're like, 
you think it's epic and then you get to eject out of that and go somewhere <laughs> blue and warm and nice in a whole different world. <laughs> yeah, the challenge is I used to be able to be like 100% honest and say that I was a cold water diver and that I loved it and that like <laughs> it is it is my favorite places to dive were on the Oregon coast and now it's like mm, I wonder if that's 100% true. <laughs> yeah. Might be a little less now. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> yeah, no, I get it, man. I totally get it. Um, but that's, that's kind of the interesting thing is you get, when you dive where like you do, which is very similar environment to where I'm in Santa Cruz and Monterey, you know, predominantly rocky reef, kelpie, you know, there's stuff. There's so much structure, vertical, yeah. top to bottom, reefs, ledges, all kinds of stuff. And then when you go other places, even if it's reef, that same kind of structure, but without the kelp, it just feels different. You know, you almost feel yeah. like you feel some, at least I do so much more exposed. And it's like, what's something's missing here. There's no kelp. What's going on? You know? So right. but you, are you getting used to that? Like bouncing between like your rocky reef kelp areas and then these bluer, you know, water areas. Yeah. It's interesting. It's been, um, really fun. You know, if uh, there's kind of two different worlds where part of, um, Often when I'm in warm locations, it's for free dive training. And so diving on a line in deep, clear water. Um, And for depth training, I've really become more interested in that. When I first started, I thought like people who dove deep were absolutely nuts. And um, (laughs) I literally, I remember having this like conversation with myself that when I took my first free diving class, it's like, okay, those guys are crazy. I want to be able to go 40 feet. I want to be able to shoot lingcod and I'll hold my breath for three minutes for the course, but I never want to do that again. (laughs) And so now in recent years, um, much more interested in, you know, seeing how far I can actually train to and, and seeing where kind of my limits are. So the deep, clear, bottomless water, uh, you know, is, more enticing just for training opportunities right right so where's that oh sorry go ahead oh i was just gonna say on the the spearing side i do enjoy that um hunting warm water it's so much different and your targets are so much different completely different you know tactics and strategies on playing fish and getting them to move around so i enjoy that challenge of going from one environment to the other and still trying to get fish to do what you want them to do yeah, that's fun. I mean, because we end up usually, you know, hunting and diving in the same spots for the same types of species with similar conditions. You know, the ocean's variable, but day to day, it's still kelpie and it's cold and right. maybe the vis is a little different, but you're going to see a lingcod probably, or maybe there's a cabazon or other fish. It's so cool when you go somewhere new and have to kind of learn the different tactics. Like you mentioned, it's like those warm water fish, man. Did they see you coming, right? And now right. you're starting to figure out how to entice them to come to you versus like where we are. It's like you see them and they just kind of sit there mostly and then you go get your shot, you know? So, and, But you're you're still, because you're able to kind of not just do a trip a year or, or, you know, a couple of days a year and then go back to Oregon. You're like kind of, you know, you're, you're in, you're fortunate enough to be able to go to these places again and again and then kind of refine your skills in these, you know, in the warm water too. That's That's pretty rad. Trying to. Yeah, it's fun. Yeah. So then let's kind of rewind a little bit because I'm really curious to kind of, there's a lot of stories and 
to how you got to where you're at. I mean, you're, you're, you run a dive shop, you're taking people, you're instructing people, you're instructing instructors. You're also kind of part of the, I guess the progression of, um, of free diving, the standards with, with now in, in PFI, you're doing so much stuff, but take us through that. Cause you mentioned scuba as well. And it's interesting because uh, some other folks kind of similar to you that I've talked to, seems like a lot of people start with scuba and at some point kind of find that free diving just has more, you know, interest to them, but, but start from scratch because you're from central Oregon, you know, and you have this kind of cool story of going to Honduras and back and finding all this. So kind of take us through that, you know, where you grew up and then into Honduras and then your circle back to, to Oregon and everything. Sure. Um, so I grew up and I was always enticed by the water it was anytime I was around the water I was in the water and you know my parents couldn't keep me dry um and but living in Oregon hours from the coast you know going to the beach wasn't a regular thing we did but we'd always be playing in the water wherever water was close so um that led me to uh you know I had a a passion for playing on the river. We lived close to a river and, and some lakes. And in high school, I got into uh, water sports, so got into wakeboarding pretty heavy um, and ended up becoming a wakeboard instructor and lived on a private lake for a while, uh, teaching people to... It was a, a terrible job being, you know, just after high school and every day I'd just put on my board shorts and flip flops and walk down to the private lake and <laughs> drive the boss's boat around all day. Um, <laughs> so that was a pretty good, pretty good gig. And I got to play in the water all the time. And it was funny, actually, um, <laughs> I was thinking about this the other day as far as being comfortable in, in low vis, but Washington state has the most man-made lakes of any state, I guess, because of whatever regulations back in the day, it was easier to build lakes. So they've got all these wow. private ski lakes and whatnot. Yeah. And many of them, cause they line them with clay. The one we were at, um, it looks like chocolate milk. <laughs> <laughs> you Straight up. <laughs> yeah. You literally cannot see anything. Um, and so it's got the, the slalom course and different buoys and, you know, we'd build rails in there and stuff. And, um, you cannot see anything. And so when the, the slalom buoys, when they'd get, you know, hit by the boat or break loose or whatever, somebody would have to go down, find the anchor block and, uh, tie off a new buoy. Uh-huh. And nobody wanted to do it cause you'd have to dive down and you couldn't see anything. Yeah, pitch black the instant your head was under the water. And so I was always the the volunteer that would jump in and and do that work, holding my breath, trying to find something in the muck. Um, So that was kind of fun. Yeah. So that's where the your uh, your three foot of viz is okay to dive with. That's where it came from. (laughs) Yeah, that's wide open compared to working at the wakeboard lake. So yeah, (laughs) Um, but. like everybody, I ended up uh, getting old and my my crashes started hurting a lot more. And after <clears throat> after a knee surgery and then another crash where they thought I broke my neck and ended up oh, getting full spine x-rays and stuff, <clears throat> decided that uh, I might be done riding at that level. So, so kind of gave that up and 
was in school and took a, a break from school and decided that needed an adventure. So um, moved to Rotan for a while. Oh, cool. And that was my really my first time where, I mean, we were, I had a house that the dock went right out towards this dolphin pen. And so every day I could jump in, you know, jump in the Caribbean and go snorkel around and chase lobster around and just look at everything that's out there on the reef. And that was the first time I had access to the ocean like that. Wow. And I mean, it was incredible. I wasn't a diver at the time. And I suppose that would be, I still, I snorkeled like our little reef spot every single day. Um, and in hindsight now, training free divers, I was terribly dangerous because I was always out there by myself. I was always oh, yeah. my breath. Like, it's a, it's a wonder that um, I didn't, <laughs> didn't have a bad situation out there. But Yeah, it's a pretty common story from all of us <laughs> looking yeah, back. Right. <laughs> um, but then when I came back and I was working on finishing up my master's, I was working with a teacher who was a scuba instructor. Um, and that was something that I always thought looked so cool and I never had access to. Mm, yeah. And so long story short, I got scuba certified. I started helping in all his classes, um, start, continued my training and ultimately became a, a scuba instructor as well and um, got to do some fun stuff there where because I was teaching high school science I developed a course for school where my students could get high school science credit they get their scuba certifications they get college credit all during their school day which was um, a ton of fun and it was oh, great to cool. you know you'd all the time I'd have these students that weren't necessarily, you know, they didn't like the school aspect of school. Right, uh, right. And, but they would excel in classes like that. So, so yeah. Um, really That's cool. Killer, man. Yeah. Yeah. That's that cool. Was, and I love to, on the, you know, dynamic of working with kids, I'd get to tell them like, I'm not going to manage you because you guys have to show me you can manage yourself. Otherwise, you're not going to get certified. You're not going to get credit. Like your yeah. your success is on you in in this one. So right, right on. That's cool, man. So you kind of have this like uh, natural knack for teaching and, and interest in teaching. You know, I mean, you 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 pursued a profession in it. You're doing it educationally with kids. You know. And, you're, you're as, a, as, a, as a high school teacher, but also like you're instructing people, you're teaching people how to dive and do things in the water. I mean, is that so? Touch on that for a moment. I mean, is there like a do you you must enjoy it because you've been doing it for so long, you continue to do it, but is there like a you know, what do you kind of where's the juice in that for you, the kind of value or the call to passion, maybe you know, for 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 teaching people? Yeah, I think back, I mean, I do think that um, even though I don't necessarily teach in the high school, you know, classroom setting, mm -hmm. I, I love part of why I love doing what I do is I, I love teaching people, um, always have, even when I was thinking about becoming a teacher, I was thinking about, you know, I'd have as much fun when I was a wakeboard instructor teaching somebody, you know, helping yeah. somebody land that trick for the first time. Um, as I would when I'd actually land a trick for the first time. So, right. um, 
Yeah, the teaching is always kind of incorporated into um, whatever piece of of what I'm doing throughout that stage of my life. So yeah, that's rad, man. I, I think I really admire that because it's like um, I don't know the ability to share in, in what you know, but also share in a way that kind of helps people in a nurturing way. I mean, and I and I say nurturing because you, I'm guessing, get people who come to your shop and say, teach me to free dive. And they may not really have much experience in the water, right? So that nurturing part is like, you're not just teaching them about the physiology of it and here's the gear. It's like, you're kind of teaching them how to read the water, feel the water, react to the water, you know, and all those other things, you know? So different from heist from a a, a classroom where it's like you you show you're sharing cl- curriculum it's like more hands-on i mean is there a kind of a similarity between that like that classroom curriculum versus being like actually in the water kind of real time ha- helping them understand and, and learn yeah absolutely and that's one of the things that you know i loved about my scuba course in high school um and what i'm doing now you know i've got <laughs> students that want to be here for one um and yeah. <laughs> all of it is you know skill and experience based and so you actually get to um they get to apply it so we're not just right you know learning and memorizing whatever it is that we need to for the test um all of it is stuff that you're directly going to use to be successful for our checkout dives and then all your diving after that so yeah yeah that's cool that's way cool so then kind of back to your timeline then so kind of got heavily into scuba and then at what point did you kind of sort of hang it up so to speak and really start focusing on free diving and in that sort of next phase of your you know of your of your ocean life i guess yeah, so I was somewhere along the line in my training, <clears throat> I discovered that um, people harvested fish underwater with uh, spear guns. And I thought that was the coolest thing ever. I had never even really seen that. Um, and so I did start spearfishing a lot on scuba. I know that makes yep. people fired up, but uh, <laughs> I, I didn't honestly didn't really even know there were was any other way to do it um and so it it got to the point where the only time um well anytime i wasn't diving for class i was spearfishing yep and so i got into you know got more connected with people in oregon which i had to work pretty hard to find find some people <laughs> i bet uh, And so as I got more and more connected, uh, people started kind of ribbing me a little bit and saying, why are you shooting on scuba? Uh, A couple people. And I was like, well, what do you mean? How else would I do that? And they, well, we hold our breath. And so um, really, so scuba got me into spearfishing. Spearfishing ultimately got me into freediving. And as I started thinking about, you know, how challenging once i had experience that it wasn't necessarily all that challenging to go find lingcod on scuba and <laughs> um that it was like okay well i should i should take a course and i should figure this thing out um because i've always loved snorkeling and that and so like i and said so you I, went that route so that's cool because you already had you, you, the sort of the 
Oops, are you still there? Yep, yep. Cool. It's hard to beep there. Sorry about that. Um, yeah, so you then basically went and you pursued a bunch of, I mean, free dive instructor training and you got, you know, certified legit. You did some time on Kona. Sounds yep. like some of your training out there. Yep. Yeah. So the first course I had, um, I, we had an instructor from Southern California just moved up to Oregon. And so hosted him by this point, we had just started our, our scuba shop. Um, and so hosted him at the shop and filled this course. And I got to sit in on the course type of deal. Um, and that really, that started my, my free diving and it wasn't long before it was like, okay, yeah, I want, I want to go. I want more. Um, and so then it was, you know, every time I was diving, it was uh, now on breath hold and spearfishing. And the only time I would put on tanks was for a class. Um, and then ultimately that progression just continued. And, and here we are. Yeah, that's, that's great, man. And one thing, too, that just kind of popped in my head, and back to your point about uh, kind of a little sidebar here, but um, back to, like, you know, hunting on scuba versus freediving. And, and I get it. And I, I've heard had these discussions, and they're always fun. And same here. Like, I started on scuba, of course. I always snorkel as a kid, scuba, chop some fish. And then once you realize, like, geez, I really don't need to be on scuba to shoot a rockfish or a lingcod. <laughs> but I will say, and I will argue that the one time I would like to go shoot fish on scuba is for halibut because yeah. the halibut are like in 60 feet of water and they're laid out there, but it's 10 foot of viz, dude. And they're so hard to detect sometimes. And when you're, yeah. you're like, you know, oh, you know, you're thinking about your breath or your depth, you're not as focused on that kind of search image of the eyeballs or the outline of the tail. Sure. And I, and I'm it, probably because I'm a terrible free dive spear fisherman for halibut in general. That's probably why I say this, but I'm not kidding you. I would love to get a tank and go down for an hour at 40 feet. And I'd probably, you know, be able to shoot a halibut. But anyway, right. you know, you can, you can do both up here. And so, um, within the, the two communities, I try to encourage people to, uh, be a little gentle with the other side but it's funny we've got we've got some people on either side that get all up in arms about you know the, the scuba <laughs> free diving debate <laughs> yep oh yeah man so then uh so then talk about your own kind of personal best here you know you mentioned that you know when you first started you're like i want to hold my breath at 40 feet and shoot some lingcod great if i did three minutes of static but why would I do more? But now you said over time, you've gotten more interested in sort of pushing your own, you know, your own limits a little bit. So where are you at with that today? Well, so <laughs> sharing personal best is always interesting. I try, try not <laughs> to sometimes, but, um, one thing that, you know, as we, as I train people about blackouts and safeties, I, I often tell them that, um, you know, blackouts are rare. But we do want to be prepared for when when they happen. <clears throat> and if you are pushing yourself, you want to have the, the appropriate safeties in place and um, make sure that it's in a, a controlled setting. Um, so give you an example. I only do I, I hate statics. Yeah, I still hate statics. Um, I uh, a couple of years ago, training in Kona, I started a, a hashtag, which I was shocked it didn't exist already, but it's static <laughs> suck. 
Um, <laughs> and then the next day I started static still suck. So feel, feel free to use either of those. But um, <clears throat> so last year, December in Kona, um, because I've got my instructors and my coaches around and good buddies that I trust, um, decided to, to work in on a, a static and like any good story, I'm going to start with my excuses first. So, <laughs> uh, so before I'd worked in on a, a class, uh, because one of the breath hold surf survival guys, uh, we had an odd number, so he didn't have a buddy. And then when it was my turn to hold my breath, it's like, yeah, I'll go for it. So but he went first, so I was already shivering before before I started my warm-ups even. Um, so I've got great video of me having a, a blackout at 6.45 on oh, my, man. my breath holds. So, um, so that's, my, that's my recent long breath hold was 6.45. Um, that's pretty cool. So when you, with the video, I mean, you blacked out and you have your own memory of that or lack of but you know the whole the whole the whole event before and after when yeah. you, you see that on video like did seeing yourself black on a video what is, does that do anything does that like i don't know how, what is that for like for you to see yourself black out i guess on video uh you know it was it was super useful actually when <clears throat> it's really funny um the so we're we're doing our breath holds and I thought I had come up at 6.30. And, you know, there's confusion and faulty judgment are, are symptoms of hypoxia. And then, uh, um, you know, loss of memory. And in the video, like, everybody that when I show, we talk about the difference between a, an LMC and a blackout. Before I do that, I sometimes show this video and ask them, okay, was that an LMC or a blackout? And they always say it was an LMC. Like my head stays out of the water. I look dazed and dazed and confused and all that. Um, and at the time, so I, <laughs> I came up and I started breathing. Um, and the funny thing, I was using a nose clip and no mask. And so I reached for, in my mind, everything was fine. And I reach for my nose clip to take it off and do my surface protocol and my nose clip is gone. Huh. And, and so in the video, the part that my mind didn't register was that my, my safety there had already removed my nose clip and blow, <laughs> blown across my face and all this. And so in the video, even though it looks like I'm above water and, you know, partially okay, um, you see me grab for my nose and then kind of hesitate and then smile because in my mind it was like, wait a minute, my nose clip. Oh, I know what just happened. And so, anyway, so you knew you'd blacked out after that. Yeah. 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 So <laughs> there, there was a bit of a gap in my memory that, uh, you know, going back and watching the video. Um, otherwise, you know, people always deny they black out because they don't remember it. And right, so right. otherwise, it's like I remember that the half an hour after that, it's like, no, I think maybe that was, you know, I think maybe I could claim that one and then watch the video. It's like, no, no chance. <laughs> <laughs> so. so do you have, have you had issues like that uh, with, with your students, like during courses and stuff? No. Uh, well, 
No. In yeah. class, um, you know, my goal is always that my students have clean personal best performances. Yeah. Um, and so when we're doing statics, if they come to the wall early, um, I'm looking for all those signs of hypoxia and whatnot. And if they look like they're, they're pushing it, I'm going to tell them to come up so that they have a, a clean static, especially at the free diver level. Yeah. Um, and then intermediate, even, you know, it's super rare. We've had a, a couple LMCs um, of people pushing to that point. Um, but there again, I'm trying to coach them to a clean static, not push them to a blackout. Right, right. And just for folks listening to, can you just like define what LMC is and how it's different from a blackout? Yeah, absolutely. So um, they're both hypoxic events and so your your body's low enough on oxygen that um you start start losing control a little bit um so an lmc is loss of motor control often referred to mm -hmm. as a samba okay. um, and then a blackout is for safety side in the free diving world the distinction is if the diver is no longer able to protect their own airway and maintain their own airway out of the water um that's the line between an LMC and a blackout. Yeah, got it, got it. Okay, if, cool. If they start shaking hard enough that they're going to dip their chin in the water. Um, on the safety side, now we treat it as blackout. Gotcha, gotcha. Now, you also, um, you also train people on uh, breath hold um, surf survival, you know? So you have, like, an, an environment where there's waves and it's crazy and there's so much happening, then there's... So sort of the other side of that spectrum is you're diving in relatively calm water and learning how to hold your breath there. So when, what kind of different, what's the difference in teaching or skills or approach with the, the, the breath hold survival and surf? Yeah, that's a, a really fun course that I was able to add. Um, last year, I was able to help with one of the PFI ones um, in Kona. And I've always been interested in it for here because it was originally developed for for big wave surfers and then modified where uh you know pfi and um kirk and those guys use it to train military teams adaptations of it uh the extreme athletes like red bull athletes and then big wave yeah. surfers and whatnot um and so in that a lot of the the curriculum lines up with the intermediate freediver training, which is where we typically let people hold their breath unlimited so we don't stop them on their static. Um, we give them training for depths up to 40 meters, um, 132 feet. But on that course in particular, talk about all the strategies and techniques for um, <laughs> holding your breath when you don't get that perfect right <laughs> you know, strategies you can do throughout your session to be ready um and then if you are in a hold down what what you need to do to to relax and and get out of that situation um so like one of the static sessions and you can find fun videos through the the pfi site and whatnot um one of their static sessions the whole class is around and you know you're tumbling the guy and splashing them while they're breathing up and you've got these back-to-back -back right as well without ideal prep in between them and it's a ton of fun 
Yeah, that sounds like it. Now, is an aspect of that too, uh, and again, I'm going to probably butcher this, so, so bear with me, but um, is part of that training, learning how to train your body to deal with like higher levels of CO2? Because like you're, you're out of breath, you're paddling, you're, or you're surfing, or maybe you're swimming and you're just you're using all your oxygen with all you know with your muscles versus just breathing up laying there on the surface all mellow and calm right and so is there a different approach to how you deal with like higher levels of co2 in your body for that stuff yeah so one of the i mean that's going to help you across the board um so we have oxygen tables and we call them call them the tables but there's o2 tables and co2 tables um that you can do as you're you're training and the o2 tables are training you to still function with lower levels of o2 um and the co2 tables are training you to your body to be okay and cope with high levels of co2 which typically give you your urge to breathe yeah so ideally um you know as you train your body to be used to semi used to these um scenarios potentially you can push back that urge to breathe you can push back Mm. when your body's freaking out and giving you those strong contractions and you know kicking you in the gut and um which is going to help you whether you're a spear fisherman a line diver or a big wave surfer so yeah yeah indeed indeed um yeah because i noticed not noticed but um there was uh kyle faust came on he's uh he's, he works for omer america he took us me and some guys here in santa cruz down off san clemente island in southern california chasing bluefin tuna last fall and well, i'm like oh cool i get to go blue water hunting this is going to be great you know and imagine just laying on the surface looking down this blue water and you get your breath and you dive yeah you probably have to dive deeper that's fine but the reality of that was these fish are off in the distance the boat's going to scare them so you got to slither into the water <laughs> haul ass over there right which is i mean you know kicking through the water is like running through mud kind of out of breath and as soon as you even see them then you make your dive there's no breathing up so that got me thinking about when i wasn't prepared for that i was like whoa what this i'm not i don't get to breathe up what's happening here you know it was was interesting and fun challenging kind of scary because i'm used to sitting on a reef and i know that fish is and you can breathe up and go but it got me thinking afterwards and that's why i asked you about the co2 thing is like the ability to you know do some of these exercises some training with high levels of co2 in mind where you're out of breath because <laughs> you've been kicking or swimming or whatever that is and then having to hold your breath and go yeah. down you know who's different kind of paradigm i guess yeah um and i already told you that i hate static so you can imagine that i i also hate doing tables but they can be super helpful <laughs> yeah i bet i bet <laughs> so now uh switching gears a little bit You've been all over the place in, in my mind, anyway, uh, doing some some chasing some fish. And one of the places you've been is Alaska, and that's something I've always I'm actually kind of equate that to like I'm hoping to go to Norway because my son is going to graduate high school. He wants to go to Norway. I'm like, yeah, let's go. Let's shoot yeah. a big halibut. You know, yeah. epic. But I'm curious, like, what were you doing in Alaska? I mean, talk about that. Um, so we went. I had, I had wanted to go for quite a while, um, and the year before, uh, some of my my buddies from the the local community here had gone up and um, successfully connected with some salmon. Wow! Um, which was was pretty cool. Got some 
some posts on uh, Instagram if you want to see see pictures of their catch. But so Alaska is the only place that that you can do that in the states. Um, yep. And so they that same group that first year I wasn't able to go because I was on course somewhere. Um, and then last year they put together a, a follow up trip and they were um, had their eyes on some some records and whatnot. And so um kept asking i kept to kind of having to put it off because i was supposed to be on a course and waiting for confirmation and whatnot but um so relatively last minute everybody else you know had their tickets and whatever and i'm still holding out trying to figure out if this course is going to go and finally pull the plug on the course and it's like yeah guys i'm in um so we we got to go up to alaska and we were it, I mean, it was incredible. It was my first trip up there. Uh, wow. And so just just the scenery and, you know, the, the diving, it it was amazing. So, so where where in Alaska and what was the diving, the conditions like? I mean, was there good visibility? Like, what were you guys going after? Uh, we were going after Kings and yeah. we, the visibility, it was interesting because in the top, I mean, compared to our three feet, it was epic visibility. Uh, <laughs> yeah, most anything is. <laughs> it still wasn't, it wasn't phenomenal visibility, I'd say. Um, and a lot of, so a lot of our diving when we were in close, just doing shore stuff, because we had some days where we were just going on different shore spots, and then we had a day where we went out on, um, <clears throat> we were staying with a, a buddy who lives up there, and got to go out on his commercial boat and scope out a few sites. Um, so water temperature wise, I mean, I thought, I thought it was fine. It was comparable to what, what we were doing. Um, visibility was probably 15 hmm, ish feet somewhere yeah. there. Um, and just really cool structure. It was a lot of fun to, they have we can't can't take them but they have uh the pinto abalone up there and oh yeah so i used to love diving for red abalone and so you know seeing a an abalone another abalone fishery um was super cool oh that's cool um, and you know scallops and and whatnot so uh that was a lot of fun on the day we went out on the boat the first 10 meters or so visibility was was fairly limited um but if we went down past that it opened up it was just dark so yeah right and so do you, you got some fish then um we got some fish we didn't connect with salmon uh yep. they had actually so unfortunately with salmon runs being the way they are one of our like prime spots that we had done research on um, they closed it down cause the run was so small, uh, oh. closed it down like right before we got there. Um, and so we saw, we saw some fish in the water, which was cool. Saw some, some King salmon, um, in the water. Um, but nobody ever got a shot on one that, that year, but still a, still a good trip. Oh yeah. That just sounds epic, man. To see that, uh, to even like consider like, hunting a salmon that just sounds so so rad and so what what uh 
what guns are you guys using or what, what kind of size are you bringing with you up there? You know, we had quite a range. It was fairly uncharted territory for, you know, a lot of us. Yeah. Uh, so I brought, I was using a 85 centimeter roller hmm. um, and I felt <clears throat> like it, it did everything I wanted it to up there. Um, we had, uh, Ian, I think had a 90, I think he also had a 110. Um, one of the guys brought his big 120 or 130. Um, so, but then visibility was limited enough and that's not really where we were hunting. So most of the time he carried his smaller Northwest gun. Yep. Um, so, but quiver, whole quiver of guns got to have them. Yeah, exactly. So, and the, the hunting was a lot of, you know, shallow while we were targeting, um, you know, a lot of shallow sit and wait, um, which is not my favorite style of hunting. Uh, but, right. um, but yeah, it was, it was interesting. It was a learning experience for sure. Yeah. Oh, that sounds killer. I bet it was. And then co- contrast that with, you know, being in Hawaii and you have, you've been after some good uku out there and, you know, very different than, I mean, maybe not so much from, from at least the tactics, but c- compare that to like, you know, tell, tell us about the uku and some of your, your stuff in Hawaii, what you've been doing out there. Yeah. Hawaii, Hawaii is fun. Um, it, I've been, it started with a, a family trip and now I usually am there, uh, a couple times a year. Um, but when we first started going every year for a family trip, I started out, and this was kind of when I was just getting into it, I started out, you know, packing my my JBL 38 special because uh, <laughs> it, would, it would fit in my bag. Right. And that totally <laughs> was super frustrating the first year, uh, but it did make me learn patience it did make me work really hard on trying to get any fish close enough for me to shoot it yeah Um, and so in the long run i think it it probably helped me a little bit but um once i kind of got the lay of the land and got a little connected um (laughs) it was funny i went out with uh i got connected with a couple local guys on maui um through now knowing, you know, some of the connections through having a shop and whatnot, I had, I'd reached out to Gabriel at Aussie Reels and he had a couple guys he connected me with there. Nice. Um, and so <laughs> the, the first time I went diving with these guys was really quite comical. Um, <laughs> and we're, you know, we meet up in the morning and, we're driving to the site and Nick turns around and looks at me and they just had a storm push through. So conditions were kind of, yeah, they weren't sure what conditions were going to be. And so driving to the first site, Nick turns around and he looks at me and he's like, okay, so how do you feel about sharks? <laughs> You're like, I love them. They're my and favorite. <laughs> I, uh, I think sharks are fine, man. I've been in the water with sharks and he's like, no, no, no. I mean, I mean, big sharks. 
it's like, oh, okay, well, I guess I haven't been in the water with a massive shark, but I think I'll be fine. It's like, okay, okay, good. Um, and so we, we pull up on this first spot. And the other <laughs> funny thing is we're driving, driving north um, with, with some local guys. We, uh, there is this site where normally the tourist route, you know, you park on the road and you hike in forever. And yep. we're, we're driving and all of a sudden he just peels off the road and then we're like four buying and we like park out on this site and there are these tourists in like their hiking gear, like giving us the evil eye. Cause we just like drove all the way out there. Uh-huh. <laughs> but so we get out there and he's looking out over the ocean and they, him and, uh, Austin are talking and, um, they're like they don't like it looks too big and so we get back in the truck and we start driving to the next site um as we're driving nick turns around again he's like hey dan how do you feel about heights heights like what heights have to do with freediving but um i was like yeah heights are fine uh so we get to this site and we walk out to it and end up um, like walking out to this this bluff, and like we're still way above the water. I'm like, what the heck? And they're they're anchored ropes that then we have to like oh man hand over hand with all our gear to get down to Dude. it on this on this cliff. And, and <laughs> so uh, it was definitely a, a fun experience with the the local guys, but. That was actually the first day that uh, I got to deal with uh, an actual open water spearfishing blackout. Uh, oh, wow. So one of the guys uh, had a blackout. And again, it, it was a perfect illustration. I had less training at this time. And so I was just through yep, like yep. my first course. And um, just watching the buddy management and and these two had been in the water a ton together. And so like Nick identified something was up way before I ever saw anything and he dropped and he met him at depth and like I got to assist with it and it turned into a non-issue, but it definitely reinforced that, you know, knowing what to look for, knowing your buddy being ready. Um, so yeah, yeah, that's cool, man. See that firsthand. And then did you guys get some fish too. Yeah, yeah. So we got some fish, um, and then it was funny. We actually, my the first uku that I ever shot um, is by far the biggest uku I've ever seen. Um, and you know, it's one of those where it was my first crack. We were out at this different site, um, and I I happened to drop down. This fish swims in and we take a shot and it ends up being teamwork getting the fish and then and they're like slapping high fives and super stoked and i'm like it's yeah it's a good fish and they're like no you don't understand like this is we i've never shot an uku this big type of thing <laughs> and i was like that's ah, first one i've ever seen it's cool <laughs> of course beginner's so, luck <laughs> yeah yeah so i totally lucked out and uh have yet to even see an uku that's close to that size again but yeah uh, of course man good that's stuff cool. yeah that's cool that's like the best part I shouldn't say the best part. One of the great things about like, um, 
pursuing like new or either diving in new new environment so to speak uh or and or chasing new fish is like ignorance is kind of bliss you know and i i can equate i mean the first time i ever dave benet again back to him him and i spent some time on the backside of Santa Cruz island and we had these crappy spear guns never seen a yellowtail and there's just like schools of them swimming around you know and i've been back since you know oh yeah they're gonna be back again but they aren't and i haven't seen them but it's it's funny looking back you're like Oh no, that's not how it is, and I'm not that good, you know. <laughs> I just got lucky, really. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. So Dan, then, so kind of switching gears as well. You know, um, you have two sons, man, ages four and six, and yeah. you mentioned when your your time on you know the Deja Blue and Grand Cayman, you had one of your boys out there hanging on the rig with you. So it sounds like you're getting these guys in the water and getting them stoked as well. So so share some about that. Yeah, that for sure is my my favorite memory of uh, Deja Blue was, um, you know, having the boys in there in general and they'd be playing in the pool. So I'd get done, you know, safety and training for the day and and go back and they'd be wanting to uh, just keep playing in the pool and they had way more energy than I had. But oh, yeah. <laughs> and then it's uh so that last day of competition, um, they brought one of the sponsors brought out a, a big catamaran for the spectators. And so they got to be out there. And once I was able to, to cycle out and trade off with another safety, I was able to swim over and, and get my older boy. And so swam him out to the competition rig. And so he got to hang on the bars with me and we're, we're drifting in 3000 feet of water out there and he got to watch, um, Talia set a South African national record, um, just, just hanging out in the blue and loving yeah. every minute of it. So, um, that's, yeah, yeah, that's killer. So, so day to day, are you there? It sounds like they're interested and you're starting to groom them to, to just understand the water and how to be safe in it and everything. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, I don't, <laughs> I've seen plenty of friends that like push their passion on their kids so much that they yeah yeah in every second of it so i never try to push them but every time like one of my favorite is uh one of the a couple years ago when i was training for a hawaii course you know i'm actually doing my tables and whatnot and the nature of little kids waking you up way too early (laughs) so it's like 3 30 or 4 in the morning and i'm up with the boys and uh my (laughs) older boy like you know elbows me in the rib and he's like hey dad dad let's do that uh that breath holding thing and i'm like sweet all of a sudden i'm awake and i'm like okay (laughs) okay go and he's like no 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 get out your phone and time me Uh, oh oh so like yeah he he knocked out a 45 second static and um after that he starts cheating but that's (laughs) That's all right he's interested in it the fact that he uh he initiated this whole thing that's what's uh so golden about that story (laughs) yeah yeah it's good fun he's got i got him a little pulse beer and we do uh we color fish on cardboard and he goes outside and and practices or make him pick up the leaves and pine cones from the yard with his pole spear oh yeah that's cool man that's yeah. way cool clamp the yard and get him some 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 practice in there exactly, exactly. <laughs> solid man so then dan i mean this year i mean do you have is your schedule pretty much you know going forward looking like 
last few months where you're traveling around, um, you know, maybe came in other places. I mean, you have some trips lined up. What's the rest of the year looking like? Yeah, absolutely. So we've got, um, we actually, we had a course that unfortunately had some candidates pull out. So we were supposed to do the, the Philippines, um, but canceled that one, which is why I get to go to Florida now at the end of the month. Um, and then got, some courses in Hawaii, working with a couple great instructors out there. We've got an intermediate and then spear fishing and stuff um, on Oahu. Uh, then we're supposed to do a couple in Baja, actually. And then oh, nice. are, are now Europe members in Egypt. Um, so, Whoa. yeah, got lots of fun stuff coming up. Awesome, man. Awesome. That sounds killer. Well, enjoy all of that, man. And uh, yeah, I can't. Next time you're down in Santa Cruz, I'm gonna be sure I carve out time to <laughs> to just get get in the water with you, man. Or if I'm ever up there, I'd love to get out and see the. I might need like five foot of visibility. I'm not sure if three will do it for me, but. <laughs> all right. Yeah, that sounds good. Actually, I'm I'm hoping to get back down and work with uh, some of those guys some more here in the next next month or two. So oh, killer, rad, man. We'll be good. Really good to see. Yeah, that'd be great, man. But uh, but I appreciate your time today and, and sharing with us, man. And uh, yeah, so thank you for, for that. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me, man. Yeah. And uh, for folks interested to learn more about what you're up to, the your, your Oregon Freedive Company, uh, throw out some some places on the web or any other areas, they can, places they can go for more info. Yeah, so the website, OregonFreeDiving.com. Um, I'm on Instagram, uh, the Oregon Freediving Co. Um, Facebook, got a page, and then also do the, the Naui Freediving pages as well, which can be found on, on Instagram and Facebook. So um, any of those outlets, you can, you can find me, you can send me messages if you want to do a course up here or... I'm happy to come to you and do a course. Wow, awesome, man. And I'll put links to all that stuff in the show notes, too, for folks listening. But uh, otherwise, Dan, thank you so much, man. It's been tons of fun. And, uh, dude, have a lot of fun this year. Sounds rad. Thanks, man. Appreciate it. All right. Cheers. All right. Bye. Hey there. Thanks so much for listening to the podcast today. We really appreciate all the support. Uh, if you like what you heard, uh, please, you know, uh, hype us up on social media. Always appreciate, you know, spreading the word. Uh, give us a nice little rating on the, uh, your podcast app and uh, just keep tuning in. If you're interested in being on the show and sharing some of your life stories, uh, hit me up, josh at thisoceanlife.tv. You can PM me on Facebook or Instagram. Anyway, thanks again for being here and uh, have a great day.